Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Thanks for joining us. We're in the middle of a series in which we're talking about what it means to be a journey woman. Today, we're revisiting a conversation with Gavin Ortland on sanctification because a journey woman is being sanctified in Christ. What does that mean exactly? Well, after listening to this episode, you should be able to answer that with confidence. We pray that this episode will encourage you to strive to look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. Before we dive in, you know I want to tell you about our sponsors who help make this episode possible, Kaleidoscope, Prep Dish, and Dwell. And a big thank you to all of you who have donated to Journey Women Ministries. We are so grateful for your help as we seek to encourage women to know and love God more. As believers, we are instructed to keep God's Word on the forefront of our minds. Dwell Bible helps us to do just that. Dwell is an audio Bible app that makes it easy to bring God's Word into your daily habits and rhythms. You can even add a beautifully designed Dwell widget to your home screen so that you can jump straight into Dwell daily. With customizable background and display options, this widget makes it easier than ever to open up the Bible and listen to Dwell. As we incorporate God's Word into our daily tasks, we are reminded that Scripture is applicable and active in all seasons at all times. To get started with Dwell, go to dwellbible.com slash journeywomen to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off Dwell for life. That's dwellbible.com slash journeywomen to commit to scripture for the rest of this year or for life. Could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and how the Lord saved you? Well, as we mentioned, I'm a pastor here in Ojai, and my wife and I have four kids, ages eight to one. So being a parent is a very big part of life right now. I'm with you. We have a seven, five, and two-year-old, so it's a full-time job in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, my wife is amazing. I don't know how she does it. When I go off to work, sometimes I get to my office and can take a deep breath and kind of say, okay, now things just got a little easier now that I got to work, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of ironic <laughs> that it's like that, but, but they're so much fun. Um, Yeah, I became a Christian when I was in fourth grade, and I had always kind of just had this deep awareness of God is there, and I have this deep need for His grace, this deep-seated awareness that I couldn't necessarily even articulate, but I had not made any sort of commitment up until that time, and it wasn't anything special. I just heard a basic gospel presentation and felt this pressure on, on my soul, but kind of like a good pressure. And I responded to the gospel, and then it's been a long process of just growing in my understanding of what it means to uh, walk by faith, what it means to surrender every area of your life to Christ, and that's kind of a never-ending journey and adventure. Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today is that process. And I imagine you're not very old, but at the same time, when you look back all the way to fourth grade, you're like, man, there's been a lot of life lived and so much maturing that's been done. So looking back at your life, can you see ways in which God has caused you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as our brother Peter once said? Yeah, what strikes me the most when I look back is how long 
of a process it is and how long it takes for me to learn things and to grow <laughs> and how much patience God has. Because when you look back, you think, wow, it took me a long time to learn some of these basic things. And that's kind of an encouragement in a way that, that I think that's normally how it goes. In fact, I remember a pastor once being asked, uh, what is the most difficult part of ministry for you? And I was expecting it would be suffering or something like that. And he said, uh, the most mm. difficult part is how slowly I grow, mm. <laughs> which I thought was a very humble answer. And I also thought it was a very um, just sort of human answer. And I kind of appreciated mm -hmm. that. So I would look back and, you know, a few things that stand out. One is getting married. Uh, it's amazing when you get married, how much God uses that in your own life. And, and then, of course, having kids as well. I think being involved in churches where I didn't just attend on Sundays, but I was really deeply involved. I just see looking back what a formative thing that was, especially one church in particular in high school and college that I was involved with had deep friendships. And when you're really plugged into a, a culture like that, a, a community, it is so formative. And then one thing that I often think about when I look back is just seeing how God has used suffering. Uh, which is, of course, not the answer that we want to hear, mm. but um, it is so true that God uses the difficult things in life, and um, I'm sure there's many reasons for that. One, I think, is just it forces us to trust God, and it kind of strips us of our self-reliance. And so I've seen God use those difficult seasons in some ways the most powerfully. I actually was just talking to my friend and kind of a, a mentor to me yesterday, and we were talking about building in kind of opportunities to acknowledge our dependence on the Lord, mm -hmm. uh, because I just find myself like going about my day and all of a sudden I realize I'm kind of on autopilot and I'm not looking to Him in the way that I would hope I would look to Him for the things that I need to be abiding in Christ. And yet, like you mentioned, I've recently had some news that's just really like it just it punches you in the gut and it's like you can't escape that suffering that element of suffering where you're like you cannot escape knowing your need uh, for God's grace and knowing your need for the hope that we maintain in our risen Lord and in the resurrection. I'm like, that is the gift that suffering is. Um, and I'm so, I'm grateful for it in that way. And also just so grateful for the Lord's kind of providential care in shaping us and continuing to make us look more and more like Christ. So can we talk about sanctification and that process, like what it is that's going on there and what God's doing through that process of making us to look more and more like Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So the the words that our tradition usually uses would be justification and then sanctification. Mm -hmm. Actually, in the Bible, you know, we could even uh, use those words differently. They're not always used in that way in Scripture. But, but usually we are just talking about there's one part of our salvation that's kind of a once-for-all thing, and then there's another part that's kind of progressive and ongoing. And actually getting those two things right and understanding which is which like we'll talk about in this, is really important because the ongoing part should be based in the once-for-all part. And a lot of times we tend to flip that. So, um, yeah, so sanctification is usually the word that we use just to describe that process of growth. And as I was just thinking about this topic in preparation for this interview, I was just thinking that it is sad sometimes when in our own lives or in the church in general, we don't see as much growth as we would like. But what we should be seeing is 
as you put it, the phrase becoming more like Jesus. That's my favorite way to think about it. We could talk about growing in our faith, growing in our holiness. You know, there's lots of uh, ways we could flesh this out. Mm-hmm. But I think of uh, becoming more like Jesus because Romans 8, 29 talks about being conformed to the image of God's Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And I love that thought that what should be happening for every Christian is you're becoming more and more like Jesus every day to the point where it's like he's the elder brother and we're his younger brothers and younger sisters who resemble our elder brother, which is such an honor to think that that's our calling and that's what God is doing for us. And it really does help too in those times of suffering when it's hard to think, well, it's worth it. God is producing this masterpiece Mm -hmm. over time through the gospel in our lives. He's making us into almost, if we could put it like this, like little Christs, you know, and we're not there yet, of course, but that's the ultimate thing he's building in us. Oftentimes the growth that suffering produces isn't seen quickly. Sometimes it's stretched over the span of months or even years. But like Gavin said, It is often in these seasons that, unbeknownst to us, God is producing a masterpiece through the gospel in our lives. He's making us into little Christs. He's growing in us long-suffering, patience, and deep trust. It's uncomfortable, it's frustrating, it's scary, but somehow suffering serves to sanctify us, exposing our sin, growing our trust, and even deepening our love for God. When we're comfortable, we can become blind to the sanctifying work the Lord needs to do in our hearts. It seems that God often grows our faith more when we're uncomfortable or dissatisfied. It seems that it's in the difficult seasons that, like Gavin says, God strips us of our self-reliance. And friends, it's also in those times that He draws us near, which is the greatest grace. And we know this, don't we? Deep down, we know that the better thing is not our earthly comforts. The better thing is nearness to God, which He is gracious to extend to us even in the depths of our despair. So as we keep an eye on this sanctifying work that God is doing in our lives, we can confidently face each trial that comes, whether it's depression, conflict, poverty, loneliness, because we know that God is using them to make us into something. In His goodness and kindness, He is making us more like Himself. And if we look at it that way, we can truly see His grace and goodness in all things. Well, and I think what you mentioned is so helpful because we can, or at least I have the tendency to just think about all the different things that I need to do to be more like Jesus. Like, here's the way Jesus was. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Like, all right, let's go. These are the things you need to work on today, Hunter Belis. And yet when you put it like that, when you're saying like Christ is the elder brother, man, it just makes you want to draw near to him. It just makes you want to spend time with him. It just makes you want to look to him as our example. And that's been my experience that I have I've seen the most fruit <laughs> from just looking to Jesus, uh, which sometimes, I don't know, it can be a little bit more up in the clouds and more challenging to think about how to practically kind of engage in that throughout our days, as opposed to just saying, I'm going to take one of the fruits of the Spirit that I know I'm lacking in, patience, and I'm going to ask... <laughs> the Lord just, please beat patience into me today. Like I need it, obviously, Lord, like I'm freaking out on these kids in here. But like the the looking to Jesus element is something that I often neglect. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like who is it that 
actually works like these things that we're hoping to see in us? And what does he work through as you kind of referenced in the beginning of our conversation? Yeah, I I think this helps me as well because it is easy and there's this tension of the general versus the specific, right? So sometimes we want to think of just the general thing about just be more like Christ-like, but there is this long tradition of Christians thinking about the specific virtues, you know, like growing in humility, growing in charity and that kind of thing. So there's kind of a tension there of how, how do you, you know, focus on the specifics without that becoming kind of legalistic. Yes. And you're missing the the bigger picture of this should be making us like Christ. So that is tricky. I think one thing that helps me is remembering that the Holy Spirit dwells within me and that ultimately he is the one who is producing any change that's happening in my life. And that helps me not get so self-focused thinking that it, because mm-hmm. that's the temptation I think is to think it's up to me to produce this change. And we're involved, we should be striving, but it really ultimately is the Holy Spirit's work through us and in us. And so I sometimes find it help, helpful just to pray simple prayers, you know, in, in moments of duress or uh, stress or temptation or whatever it might be of just the the prayer, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> That's uh-huh. so basic. Mm. But, you know, sometimes we need to get that basic and just have those prayers that remind me that throughout the day, I need to be looking to the Holy Spirit. I need to be trusting in Him. He is the one who's doing this. And then just as we've said earlier too, basing my growth in what God has already done in Christ. So basing my sanctification in my justification. In other words, not thinking that God's a level of approval of me uh, sort of goes up and down based upon how I'm performing and how obedient I'm being and that kind of thing, but rather saying, no, there can be, you know, I can have less fellowship with God one day or another. I can displease God in, in something I do, but my ultimate status before God is in Christ. And then from that place, I go out and I and I you know fight sin and I I seek to be a disciple of Christ. Those basic things, gosh, I come back to those over and over, and I just find that such a helpful focus for for me. Mm, that's so good. Like I want to uh, just be able to remember that more and more throughout the day. Unfortunately, I think the Lord gives me more and more opportunities to walk in that as I see my sin. <laughs> and have to walk in repentance. And a lot of that happens, especially in the context of parenting. And I know not all of our listeners are parents, uh, but I'm really curious to hear how you talk about this, how you and your wife, Gavin, talk about this with your children. Um, Because I think a lot of times as Christian parents, we're hoping to see, you know, the image of Christ formed in our kids. We want them to walk in righteousness. We want them uh, to emulate, you know, the fruit of the spirit and all the things. But a lot of times we can be even talking to them about this process detached from like justification, as you mentioned. So how is it that you guys have conversations um, with your kiddos? Yeah, this is something we think about a lot. Any question about parenting, I will immediately (laughs) have a lot to say because it's, you know, very much on our hearts and minds these days. One of the things that we have thought about with our oldest two children, they are very sensitive. Our third child just turned four uh, two days ago. And he's very different. He's, he's more, you know, we drop him off at preschool and our older kids were a little more timid and he's, he, he asked us to stay in the car so he could just walk by himself. <laughs> and he's only four. And I thought, <laughs> wow, 
every child is so different. You know, you never know how they'll be different. But with our oldest two, it's helped us to think about how careful we must be never to motivate them by shame fundamentally, because that can be very easy if we come in with a real strong corrective. And it's just been a continual learning process of the importance of being gentle and of also of kind of tailoring your, your parenting to the unique personality of your child as much as you can. And we've honestly just realized we just need to step back and chill out a lot <laughs> with our with our older two and not be as strict and give them more freedom. I do think about that a lot in our sanctification and in the kind of similar dynamics we have in our relationship with the Lord of he doesn't shame us. You know, that's not mm-hmm. how we, that's not how anyone changes. People don't fundamentally, I mean, maybe behavior change for a short period of time, but true heart change really does not come through pressure and through force and through shaming and those things that in our fallen nature and in our culture, we see so easily as forces of pressure when we want to try to create change in others. And this is the great insight of the gospel. You know, before he understood the gospel, Luther says, I hated God. No matter how hard he tried to obey and to please God, he couldn't come to love God. And so it had to start with recognizing God's grace and that totally irrespective of our performance, God forgives us for the sake of Christ. And so that as a parent and in all my other relationships too, I feel that there must be some um, something of the aroma of that. There must be some mm-hmm. expression of that. There must be grace. There must be patience and gentleness. People must not sense that they're on a short leash. They must sense that they're not under pressure. They're not under the microscope. Mm. And in the way we treat each other, we can hopefully kind of live out the the gospel because that, you know, we're not going to be, it's not going to be fruitful. Um, if I'm parenting out of pressure or out of embarrassment or something like that, that really doesn't get at the heart level. All true change really does come from a place of love. I'm convinced of that. And the greatest commandment is that we love God. And I do believe that all other change and growth must come out of that soil uh, of love for God. And so that's another one of those basic things that's kind of a helpful rubric in our own lives is, is the way I'm changing, is it rooted in love for God? Hmm. Ah, you are just preaching to the choir here. We are like, that's our mission statement at Journey Women, like moving women to know and love God more. Because yes, I have definitely had seasons of seeking to move myself toward God by like trying to behave and modify like my own behavior to be able to be closer to him. But like you said, just staying tethered to the vine and recognizing the abundant riches that we have in Christ is like, there is no greater way to draw nearer to him. We pray that you are finding this conversation with Gavin as helpful as we did. And because of that, we want to tell you about another sponsor who helped make it possible, Prep Dish. PrepDish is the best way for busy people to get healthy meals on the table without the stress. When you subscribe, you'll receive an email every week with an organized grocery list and instructions for prepping meals ahead of time. This means dinner time can be quick and easy every day. Prepping your week's meals with these time-saving meal plans will be a total game changer for busy weeknights. Imagine never having to think about what's for dinner and having more free time to spend with your people. The founder, Allison, is both a dietitian and a chef, so you know that your meals are not only delicious, but nutritionally balanced as well. 
Plus, she's a mom to two little boys, so she gets the need to feed a family without spending hours in the kitchen every night. If you want to serve healthy homemade meals without the stress, the founder, Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial. Check out PrepDish.com slash Journey for this amazing deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com slash Journey for your first two weeks free. As you were talking, I was also thinking about the communal experience, um, like you referenced, uh, being so fruitful for you personally. And that's been the case for me as well. And even just as you were talking about parenting, I thought about some of the connections that can be made just to mentoring and discipleship. And I've definitely been in contexts where the way by which we would motivate and encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ to change is by coming really, really hard um, with the truth and maybe a bit of the shaming that you referenced. I've been in contexts where I've probably uh, fallen privy to that. Apologies to any of my former like communities. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I also would love to hear from you. Like, What does it look like for us to be doing life together under the Word of God, richly seeking to love God and to love one another deeply from the heart? And how does God use that experience of community to also bring about change in us? Mm -hmm. Yes, this is such an important part of it. And my dad has helped me understand this a lot. My dad talks a lot about gospel culture and the way gospel culture must sort of complement gospel doctrine. And that if we just have the doctrine, it's not just neutral. You know, we can actually do harm to people mm. by commending the, the truths, but not living them out. Uh, you know, mm. in the full expression of that, we just use the word hypocrisy for that. But even to smaller extents, you know, we can really focus on the doctrine more than we focus on the culture. And so just this, you know, one thought on this that helps me is in First Peter 5, when he's talking about shepherding the flock, he says, not lording it over people, but setting an example. And that I've always come back to this and found this so humbling, <laughs> and uh, but so helpful as a focus that the way I don't lord it over people is that my primary sermon is my life. My primary teaching tool is my example. Now, of course, I fall short of that in many ways, but to make that your focus is really helpful. It, you know, if we do that, I feel that we're less likely to move into the kind of pressuring and shaming mode because now I'm more focused on myself. (laughs) And that's always a healthy place to be. You know, we could go overboard with that to where we never gave a rebuke or never gave a correction. And there is a place for those things. I just find it helpful to come back to this, especially even as a parent, you know, on this as well. My kids are watching and I want my primary instruction to them to be that they just see how I'm responding, how I'm loving my wife, how I'm responding to circumstances. So that's humbling. <laughs> that that puts it back on us. But I think that's a, a helpful place to start that can be an ingredient of pursuing gospel culture. I love that. I have a mentor who said, love God and you will parent well. And that just like cut to the chase for me. And I think the same can be said for us as we do life together under the word. What's the danger in attributing sanctification to our efforts um, like we kind of talked about, I, I have this tendency to do this, Gavin. I'm a little bit type A, um, a little bit goal-oriented. So <laughs> I kind of hate that too about myself. So just be tender with me here. But okay. <laughs> how does this also, like this reality of, you know, God really being the one who brings about um, the, like godliness in us, how does that encourage us 
to zealously grow in Christ and to combat sin. Um, so kind of holding those two things in tension. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, this does seem like it's an area of tension where we could veer off into an extreme direction in, in one way or another, where on the one hand, we could kind of think that there's no place for our efforts, you know? And yeah. sometimes one does see that, that the, there's such a focus upon God's grace that any kind of discipline or, or diligence or striving is looked at as legalism. And mm-hmm. that really isn't the case. I mean, Paul talks about, he says, I beat my body to make it my slave. When we, we look at the great Christians of the past, you know, think of Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, making all these very specific resolutions. You know, there, there's a place for that. And so we want to create space for that. Uh, at the same time, I think the other challenge, of course, would be starting to trust in our efforts or to for, forget that it's God's work through those efforts. And so that is kind of a tricky thing. Um, I think the the simple thought of coming back to the prayer for help from the Holy Spirit helps me on this. I can know in my mind that it's God's work, but it helps my heart be attuned to that if I'm being prayerful. So if in the context of you know striving to address something in my life, if I just make it a matter of prayer, that sort of instinctively reinforces this awareness in me that God's got to be the one to do this. Uh, I'm striving, but I'm asking him to do this. And it's kind of a humbling thought that we receive our sanctification by grace, just as we receive our justification. Even though we're striving, and even though we're it's a process, nonetheless, it's something that we ultimately receive, not earn or produce. And so I, I have this great quote that I printed out. I hope it's okay if I read this. It's from a, a book that I would recommend for people by Richard Lovelace called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And it just Mm. encapsulates, I printed it out before this interview because I thought it's so great. It just encapsulates this whole issue of, you know, our sanctification flowing out of our justification. He says, only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. In their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for justification. Few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Martin Luther's platform, you are accepted. Looking outward in faith and claiming the holy alien righteousness of Christ as the only ground for acceptance, relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce increasing sanctification as faith is active in love and gratitude. Now there's a that's the end of the quote. That's a lot of words packed in there, but just the word relaxing strikes me. Mm. And that thought that there is a sense, I mean even as we're saying also there's striving, there's a sense of you're you're relaxing into a as he puts it a particular quality of trust. So there is this sense of you're you have to start by letting go, you know, of mm. our own abilities, our own righteousness, our own efforts. And then we start from the standpoint of Christ and what he's done for us. And then we work hard, but we're working from that. And that Mm. the way he puts that just really helps me. Oh, that's so helpful. And I can always use a really good dose and a reminder to relax because (laughs) (laughs) I am the type of person who takes things really seriously, particularly when it comes um, to this issue of wanting to combat sin. Early on in my faith, I'd question my salvation a lot. 
I was always asking, am I pursuing Jesus hard enough, or am I actually saved? My journal was littered with declarations of my love for God right alongside my doubts. My faith felt so small. Sometimes I didn't see signs of sanctification, and I wondered if it was enough. And even more recently, as I've walked through difficult circumstances in the fight against sin, I can find myself wrestling with this tension that Gavin described of needing to trust in my justification, what Christ has done for me, and work towards holiness from that. When I consider this, I'm always brought back to Paul's words to the Philippians, where he tells them to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The juxtaposition Paul describes there seems almost impossible. How are we supposed to work out our own salvation if it's God who's working in us? But what Paul is doing is inviting us into this push-pull of sanctification, the need to work hard towards holiness, while also humbly remembering that we can do nothing apart from God. Because the truth is our sanctification, and our salvation for that matter, is achieved only by God's power. This working out of our salvation comes right alongside the call to surrender all control to God to work in us. We must work hard at letting go of our self-sufficiency. We must work hard while relying on God to work in us. It's actually such a beautiful balance between striving and submission, between sanctification and surrender. It's a unique call to work hard, to let go, to pray that prayer that Gavin said, Holy Spirit, help me, and to relax into his work in us as he helps us to be more like him. Let's trust him to do that in us today. I was telling a friend the other day, I feel like the road to obedience for me looks really windy. And the person was like, you know, it's a journey. And they're kind of playing on, like, you know, the journey of journey women. You know, it's like it's it's a thing that like the Israelites did like 40 years, you know, in the wilderness, like the Lord uses this journey to bring about, like to get the Egypt out of us, just like he was doing with the Israelites so long ago. So what encouragement do you have for the listeners who are in the place that I'm in where they can just like look back and they're like, why was this so, why is this so inefficient? Like you said, like, why does this process take so stinking long when all I really want to do is like walk in obedience and glorify the Lord? Mm-hmm. One encouragement that I think helps many of us is looking back at the other saints and wonderful Christians who preceded us in church history and seeing how many of them, God produced this masterpiece, you know, Mm -hmm. he did something extraordinary in and through them, but it was a long, messy process and they struggled along the way. I think, for example, St. Augustine and the intensity of his love for God as you see it in his autobiography, The Confessions. And yet he talks about how slow and how sluggish he was and the the worldly kinds of sins that he struggled with well into his 20s. And he had like 10 years as what's called a Manichaean, which was a non-Christian sect and, you know, long meandering periods. And he described his conversion as when you wake up in the morning and you're just lying in bed for a long time and then you finally decide to get out of bed as opposed to, you know, you hit the alarm clock and pop right out of bed. And he said, that's how I became a Christian. You know, he sort of became aware, but it took him a long time. So you say, okay, God did something powerful with Augustine, but it wasn't a speedy, efficient process. Or another thing that helps is thinking of some of the the great Christians who struggled deeply, even late into their life, 
and uh, felt stuck and felt trapped and even felt despair. Um, C.S. Lewis, I always think of his book, A Grief Observed, where he's deeply grieving and he's questioning. I mean, he's really struggling. And he wrote that book four or five or six years before he died, uh, well after you know he influenced the world so powerfully. Mm-hmm. And so just seeing those things reminds me, we're not alone. You know, uh, this is a common experience that we have to slow down and say, this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. And mm-hmm. God's doing this beautiful thing, but it takes time. And remembering that we can't always see what our greatest problems are and where actually, like I've, I've often thought it's helpful to say, we should not assume that we know what our greatest struggle with sin is. Sometimes the the deepest sins are things that are mm. that hide from us. You know, some of the some of the deepest vices are things like envy and pride, and things that they tend to to lurk in the shadows. And sometimes we're not aware of the way they're influencing us. So that should also humble us to say, and this could be an encouragement: we, we shouldn't assume that just because I can't see any progress in my life, that therefore there isn't any progress. The very frustration and the very struggle may be an indication of God's grace in our lives um, and our desire, you know, the, the fact that we are burdened by the fact that we are struggling with things and we desire to please Christ. That very struggle, that very tension could be a, a good thing. I, I would just say that the main thing that I always come back to is just remembering that in the gospel, God is very, very patient. First Timothy 1, 15 and 16 Paul says, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And and then he says, but God chose me for this very reason um, to display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. So in other words, Christ chose Paul, the one who was killing Christians, so that everybody else could look at him and say, wow, God has perfect patience. For those who believe in him. And that is really helpful just to kind of, it helps us not give up on ourselves. I truly think there will be moments in the Christian life when we will be more tempted to give up on ourselves Mm -hmm. than God is. We'll be more frustrated with ourselves and we'll think, I'm ready to despair and throw in the towel. But God isn't given, he hasn't given up on us. And so we Mm -hmm. have to remember that. We have to say, you know, God is the one that I should measure my life by. And it's not to downplay sin. We want to take sin seriously, but it's just to say God is patient. We just need to not give up. Uh, no amount of, of falling down will ultimately destroy us if we keep getting back up and running to Christ and just stay in the fight. Okay, friends, here's the dilemma every parent faces. You want to give your kids helpful discipleship resources, but eventually, kids grow too old for storybook Bibles, plus they've read them a million times. However, their reading level hasn't caught up to adult translations, which are written at a high school level. Kaleidoscope steps into this in-between stage, helping kids and parents bridge the gap between storybook Bibles and adult translations. They retell every book of the Bible at an elementary reading level in beautifully designed single-volume chapter books. Kaleidoscope has volumes on everything from Numbers and Exodus to Matthew and Romans, and their most highly anticipated volume, Genesis, is available March 1st. Be sure to order your copy today. Check them out at Read Kaleidoscope on Instagram or at readkaleidoscope.com and take 10% off your order with the code JOURNEYWOMEN. Kaleidoscope, the new kid in kids' Bibles.
I wonder if you can speak to just maybe the way that our thought processes have changed and shaped with technology and the evolution of like how quickly things happen in our current culture like you know it starts with like the drive-through I don't know I'm not like a historian or anything but you go to the drive-through and you can get like instant food and and now I feel like we get on Instagram and you know we scroll and we see these like transformations of like a house or even like in Christian culture this very small subculture on the internet a lot of times we can just see like this I don't know, massive like platform just overnight or like this, you know, seeming like deep revelations just like happen just and it almost makes you feel as if like you're not having these like immediate results that like there's something wrong. So I really appreciate your encouragement and I'd love any insight that you have just in regard to like what it looks like for us to grow in kind of that patience with one another and with ourselves in such an instantaneous culture. Mm-hmm. Yes, a good uh, a good example of what you're talking about is a microwave. <laughs> Usually, if you want to heat something up, it's going to take a longer time, and a microwave is you know it just zaps it so quickly. Yeah, and it's never quite right in the microwave. Like there's always that one cold chunk. Exactly. <laughs> and, you, and sometimes it doesn't taste as good. You know, even right. just as hot. It's like it's it's faster, but it's not necessarily as good as using an oven or something like that. And it's a good good sort of image for this dynamic of the modern world, where so much of the modern world is the microwave rather than the oven. And the way human beings are designed is more like an oven than a microwave. You know, it's 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 the process that 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 does something. So I think a lot of people, I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this podcast feel that and and struggle with that and would desire mm-hmm. to slow down and would desire to to yeah. step back a bit from the the craziness. I feel that. Even just today I was reflecting upon that and just how I need to be disciplined in so for mm-hmm. me, you know, I, I have to be disciplined in how I use social media. I've just mm-hmm. I've learned that I'm not smarter than the algorithms. <laughs> uh, I can't trick them, they'll trick me. So, therefore I just have to have disciplined intentionality. Mm -hmm. And so just the simple thing of deleting it off my phone and just having to have it on my computer um, just done wonders for me. It's been so, Mm -hmm. and and I'm not saying everyone should do that. Other people can't maybe take that particular step, but we should all think about how do I slow down the noise and the clutter, which really robs us of joy. Just thinking long-term and, you know, I'm a big believer in Sabbath rest and in sabbaticals and in time to get away and be quiet and listen to one's soul, uh, you know, and asking how is, what is the state of my soul? One particular practical thing that my wife and I have found helpful that I could maybe recommend is uh, certain times of the year, we do what we call stones of remembrance. Mm. Our anniversary is July 7th. So we do it on our anniversary and then we do it on January 1st. So just about halfway through the year and then at the beginning of the year. And every time we just look back and recount the ways we've seen that God is faithful, we look ahead and we dream and pray and just sort of ask the Lord for big things. And what has always amazed me is how many ways you can see the faithfulness of God, but you might not think of them unless you're intentional to write it down or to make note of it, and how many prayers God answers. Hmm. Yeah, to the point where we're, we're saying we need to keep praying bigger prayers. <laughs> and um, of course, he doesn't answer every prayer. Sometimes he redirects things and so forth. But he he does bring us from point A to point B. 
And so thinking about this in terms of our walk with Christ and our sanctification can be helpful to have some kind of practice to take stock of the the long term, where you can look back Mm -hmm. and you can look ahead, and hopefully you can notice evidences of God's grace in your life. And that is so encouraging when you can see that, because if if we don't take a long-term perspective, day by day, we probably don't feel like we're growing that much. But if you take a long-term perspective, sometimes you can realize, you know, five years ago, I would have responded to this differently. And that is kind of encouraging when you can see that. Mm, I love that so much. One of the things that I always try to do is to recount God's faithfulness through my life. And then as I'm in the Word, uh, just recounting His faithfulness to His people throughout all of redemptive history. There's nothing more encouraging than that. But but even with that, there are times when it just feels like doomsday. And I don't know if you've experienced that, Gavin, but you're just like, man, I just, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like, how am I going to make it to the end of my life and for God to like look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So how does God guarantee that those who are His will persevere till the end? I would say for anyone listening to this, who's really in a time of suffering. You know, as we're talking about this, I'm just aware that there's a lot of suffering and a lot of grief right now in the world. A lot of people have um, lost a loved one. Many people are struggling Mm -hmm. with mental health challenges, with depression and anxiety. And there's just a lot of darkness right now. It's a really, really tough time for many people. And so one of the things I would want to say is I do believe that God is, he's kind and he's understanding. And so when we're really struggling, there's a way we could be focusing on our sanctification, which could be overly intense. And there are times when, like, if I'm, for example, if I'm pastoring someone and they're in a real deep, dark time, my first questions aren't, what is God teaching you through this? How are you fighting your sin through this? There could be a time for those questions, but especially if it's a deep suffering, I really don't go there. Um, I really Mm. focus more on support and encouragement and friendship. And then hopefully as they emerge from that suffering, then we can get back to, you know, a full range of conversation. But I've just found Mm -hmm. that when people are suffering, um, that can just put added burdens on their back sometimes, depending on how that's done. Of course, I want to leave a little wiggle room here for the complexities of people are different and so forth. But as a general rule, so I would say, first of all, when people are suffering, Uh, When people are going through a dark time, um, make it the focus, make it the emphasis to consider the depth of the love of God. And that, Mm. that itself will change us and sanctify us as it consoles us and as it comforts us. And there's a way to bring it back to the personal realm where it's not just about a a growth, though that's important, but it's also, first of of all, about just loving and walking with God. Yes. And, and out of that, everything else flows. And so the encouragement I would give for to people who are in a difficult space or they are struggling, they may not feel like they're going to make it, is mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is the perfect Savior. And he is uniquely and perfectly suited for the job of saving us because he came into our world and he, he lived a human life. You know, he's even more equipped than he would be just by being all-powerful. Uh, he's all powerful, so that's a good start. <laughs> um, but then he died, and he was buried, and he he suffered, and you know he's been through everything that we go through, uh, at least categorically. The confidence that we have, the the assurance we have, isn't that 
well, we're making progress or, you know, we're going to try harder next week. The ultimate place we put our focus is how wonderful and awesome and kingly Jesus is. He can get Mm. the job done. And so it's not about us. Um, It's his work. And so that's where I want to shepherd people's focus and and shepherd their hearts. And as we put our focus there, there's a kind of relaxation that can happen. Yes. It it does kind of take the pressure off in, in a good way. I have one of those little letter boards and I'm always wondering like, what should I put on my letter board? And I really think that after this conversation, I'm just put relax. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for helping me relax into what God is doing in me and trusting that he will bring about the good work that he began in me to its completion. You have had such a great impact on many people across the really across the world through your the opportunities that the Lord's given you to write. And I thank God for that. But one thing that always strikes me at Journey Women is how when I ask this question that everybody, regular listeners will know I'm about to ask, like who's had the greatest impact on the way you know and love God? The thing that always strikes me is how it's usually the person that you're just doing life alongside that really doesn't have their name on a book anywhere that the Lord is using to bring about um, the greatest level of sanctification, like you mentioned, your kids. So I would love to hear from you who it is that's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God, Gavin. I think the per- there's a number of people in my family that I can mention that have influenced me, and I'm so grateful for my family and just the things that I've learned from them and, and ways I see God's grace to me through many different people I can mention. But the person that honestly has changed me the most it, spiritually would be my wife in many different ways, but the things that first leap to mind would be just her loyalty and her compassion for others are ways that I see the image of God in her. She has this fierce loyalty and this deep compassion for for other people. And she has a background working in mental health, so she really understands people. She understands human psychology really deeply and intuitively. She's a good sort of counselor when I need a a counselor, (laughs) which sometimes happens, but she's also just such a loyal friend. And I've experienced God's grace and God's goodness through that. Please thank her for us. Thanks for her willingness to share you with us today and for your willingness just to join us on the Journey Women podcast. It's been a blessing to chat about this topic with you. And I'm so grateful that you'd come on the show. Like Gavin said, we hope this encourages you to strive from a place of rest, knowing that God will complete the good work that He began in you. That is what being a journey woman is all about. You've been listening to Journey Women, a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you could do so by visiting journeywomen.org give or visit the link in our show notes. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. <laughs>